Thank you so much for joining the first part of our podcast series to discuss virtual events. As industry professionals, we need to be agile and relevant, so virtual on so many levels is not only in our near future, but it's a very significant part of our game plan moving forward. I'm Jennifer Squalia, an FICP Board of Director, and I'm really honored today to be joined by two industry professionals who not are only experts in the events industry, but especially with virtual events. Our conversation will be divided into two podcasts. The first one is going to focus on an overview of virtual events and top tips for success, and the second part will focus on developing a RFP and some budget considerations to assure an impactful virtual event. So it's an honor today for me to welcome the panelists. Uh, first is January Cantrell, one of my fellow board members. She's the Director of Meetings and Events for AIG, uh, specializing in AIG Retirement Services. And then there's Brant Kruger, who is a technical producer, educator, speaker, and consultant. Brant is an instructor for a virtual event and meeting management certificate class at, with the Event Leadership Institute, and January is in the midst of completing this course as we record this. So it's really, that's how we're all together today, which is wonderful. January and Brand, um, thank you so much for joining us. And can you both share a quick snapshot of your background and also tell me a little bit about the course as, that you are actually teaching and taking. So uh, January, why don't we start with you? Well, thank you. I definitely wouldn't say that I'm an expert at eventual events yet, but I'm definitely working on it, and uh, Brandt's class has been very helpful. Um, I am the Director of Maine's Events for AIG Retirement Services, formerly BALIC. Um, I've been with AIG for uh, about 16 years, and we are actually in the process of planning a virtual conference in replace of one of our larger events in the fall and possibly several others. Yeah, I think that seems to be the name of the game these days. I, I think, you know, two or three months ago, I don't think we would ever thought we'd be doing a lot of virtual in the fall. We were kind of hopeful to be back in person. So that, that's great. Thank you, January. And Brant, um, how about you? Well, I uh, worked for a meeting and events uh, production company here in Minneapolis for the better part of 18 years uh, before going out on my own about six years ago. Uh, and I've been an instructor with the Event Leadership Institute for going on almost 10 years now. Um, I started working with them uh, doing classes on technical meeting and event production. Um, and uh, very early on when we started to see things uh, locking down and conferences getting canceled, uh, we realized pretty quick that there was going to be a need uh, for folks to start learning how to do uh, online and virtual events. And so we uh, gathered together uh, all, of the, all the folks and, uh, and uh, put together as, as quickly uh, but as, as, as carefully as possible uh, over the course of the last uh, uh, two months uh, this course, uh, Virtual Event Meeting Management uh, Certificate course at ELI. And it's been... Um, uh, popular, <laughs> to, say the, to say the least. Um, and so that's that's how we've uh, connected with January here is through the through the course there. And it's been it's been a uh, it's been a lot of fun for me as well um, to to put this together and to to see so many uh, engaged planners actively in the process of trying to uh, navigate these new waters. Right. I mean, as you say, you know, you had to pivot to kind of create this course. Um, and we've had to pivot as meetings professionals to deliver, you know, bringing our, you know, our attendees and everything together, uh, but on a different platform. So it's great. Um, it's great that you guys have come together, and I'm so thrilled that you're, we're going to have this discussion today. Um, uh, so let's start. Um, 
Greg, why don't you start, if you wouldn't mind, giving us like an overview of the different types of virtual and, and online events. Yeah, well, it's one of those things that um, the, uh, the, the definitions have, have slid around a little bit over the course of the last couple of months even. Um, so traditionally, we kind of looked at, you know, you've got your, 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 your traditional in-person event. And then if you were to uh, literally broadcast that out, you know, that would be a broadcast event. There's no interactivity, anything like that. Think like a television. So that's a straight up broadcast or a netcast or something along those lines, you know, a live stream. Um, and then you, you start to, uh, the more kind of, interactivity and engagement that you add, you know, the definitions start to slide kind of up and down a spectrum of, of, of audience types. And so from there, you go into more of a hybrid model, right, where you've got a live in-person audience, um, and then you've got remote audience as well. And so you have to be planning for both of those audiences uh, carefully and, and clearly. Um, and then as we start moving further down the spectrum, we get into what we've had to be doing for the last couple of, of months now is totally online events, um, where the only only audience is the online audience, and there's no in-person audience whatsoever. Um, now, if you'd asked me three months ago, you know, the difference between a virtual event and an online event, um, I'd probably have a different answer uh, because there's, I think, a, a, another category, which is actual like virtual reality, right? So virtual reality events where we're going into some kind of, uh, you know, avatar land where we can all walk around and have our little avatars and that kind of thing. I, I would have considered that to be a virtual experience, but just because of the way that people are using the terminology um, over the course of the last couple months, virtual and online have basically become synonymous. So when we talk about a virtual event or a fully online event, we're basically talking about the same thing at this point. At least most people are to the point where I actually was trying to not call the course virtual event and meeting management because I felt you know, online was a better descriptor. But that's what the reality was. That's what folks were searching for. And so, you know, uh, you know, when we even when we start talking about our virtual events and marketing and things like that, that's a huge thing, right? So you want to be making sure you're paying attention to what folks are searching for. So we, I, I lost, <laughs> and and so it's the virtual <laughs> event meeting management course. So yeah, that's so hopefully that helps kind of clarify a little bit that I would still say there's technically a difference, but I think that's become more of a VR experience, and virtual and online have become basically synonymous. Yeah, that's that's such a good point, um, and. Uh, you know, you wonder, is virtual really the right word to describe, to your point? Um, so uh, thank you so much for kind of putting forth those clarifications. Uh, very, very helpful. So January, you know, you've, you've taken the step to take this class and learn more about it. And um, as you start to kind of, you're looking at your event in the fall, obviously you're typically probably past the stage we're about to talk about. But the first thing you should really be doing is kind of, starting with the why. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the events, objectives? Like tell me that a lot of people, I think, when they are planning a virtual event, they're like, oh, what platform are we going to use? Like they jump to the technology rather than starting from the very core of the purpose of the meeting. So can you, can you speak a little bit about your process with that and the importance of it? Yeah. So, you know, it's not too different from planning in-person events that we're used to doing. We, we have to go, you know, really break it down and, and start from the very beginning and, uh, you know, use the basics. So we have to always start with the why. And it's important to begin here before you develop your strategy. You have to think about what is the goal? Is it to increase sales, education, motivation? Is it to entertain? Or, um, you know, maybe it's to reward and recognize accomplishments. 
or most of the time it's a combination of all these things. So um, once you establish that, then you can really go on to the next step, which is really getting to know your audience. We probably know our audience on most of our things, but it's really a good idea to take a step back and write it all down. Talk, write down who your stakeholders are, who is the audience, and then get input from those stakeholders uh, and the audience from the beginning. You can survey the audience and ask them what's important to them. What did they like the most about the events? Or what we did is we looked at past surveys from past events and really were able to analyze what people thought were the most important and the subjects they wanted to talk about or what kind of engagement they liked to the different parts of the event and so that we are able to keep those most important things when we're building out our um, goals and strategies and building out the event. And, and then I, what I did was um, put some of these things into a presentation and uh, presented it to our internal stakeholders. And, uh, and then once we established and all agreed on all the goals and the objectives, then we're able to move forward to the next, uh, to the next step. Great. And you're right, it's not that different. And, you know, Brant, we, when we were talking the other day, you know, um, establishing goals and objectives is critical for, you know, any event, but especially virtual. But to your point, when we talked a couple days ago, is you know, some people just forget that step altogether, even for in person. So I know you have some thoughts on that. Can you share those with us? Yeah, I mean, it's in the in the early days of the lockdown when we started to see everyone was in such a mad dash to uh, you know convert their events online that I was fielding an awful lot of phone calls that were just like, just tell me what platform to use and how much does it cost. And, and I was like, whoa, you know, you know, and I'd be like, whoa, you just slow your slow your roll there. You know, I know nothing about your event. You know, I, I have no idea what your goals and objectives are. I have no idea what your audience is like. You know, I can't, I can't give you that answer. I could give you a list of the top five, you know, and you could go start doing some research. But, you know, and so, and, and <laughs> some people didn't like hearing that answer. They just wanted to be told, wanted to be told, you know, what, what, you know, what platform should you use and how much does it cost? Um, but it's, it's so important. It's so important on all all of our events. And I think one of the things that I keep trying to emphasize is that just because we're going to virtual, just because we're going online, you don't have to throw out the rule book, right? You know, if you've been planning events for 20 years, you know how to plan an event. And so, you know, use those same skills, use those same, uh, you know, uh, the processes, get to know your audience, know your audience inside and out, know what they like. There's just different things now that we need to keep in mind, you know? So knowing your audience is not just going to be their likes and dislikes and you know are they chicken or beef people you know those kinds of things that we have with our in-person events now knowing your audience includes things like are they more mobile or are they more desktop you know what what's their environment are they more urban or are they more rural what's their access to, to bandwidth going to be what are that we you know those types of things become you know much more important because you're going to then need to tailor your uh, tailor your event to your audience and so if you're gonna if you most of your audience is is rural um, and doesn't have good access to broadband 
uh, or for whatever reason doesn't have good access to broadband, you know, you're going to need, you can't be blasting high definition, you know, uh, video streams at them all day long. So maybe look at to more of an online, you know, on-demand solution where you maybe you've got one video stream and then a bunch of on-demand courses. So really it becomes even more important to, to get to know your audience, to get your input from all of your stakeholders, uh, you know, as January said, because, you know, marketing is going to have a different take than sales. You know, sales is going to have a different take than the planning department and all, everyone needs to come to the table so that they get what they need out of the event. And then you can start designing your event and then you can start backing your way into the technology. Yeah, no, that's both of you. I mean, great point. Um, got, you have to you have to set that foundation before you build upon it. So, um, so this is a great segue to the next thing I want to talk about is like you know what are the best practices as we transition from you know kind of in person to virtual events, um, kind of a wish list or, or things that we really need to keep in mind as we are moving into this new new platform. Obviously, you guys have touched on some great stuff already, but. Um, you know, Jinger, I'll start with you. What are some things that you've learned kind of as, you, as you're approaching your fall event, as you're taking the class? You know, what are some best practices that you feel people really need to keep in mind when they're transitioning and pivoting from in-person to virtual? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing to keep in mind is that not all in-person events translate to virtual events very well or online events or even a hybrid. And so when you're establishing your why and your goals and objectives, that will help determine if, if this is a good fit to move to an online uh, version of the event. Maybe we just skip this year and then wait till um, in-person events come back, and that's the best decision for that. So I think it's important to ask, do we need to do this online? Is this something that is going to fit for our goals and objectives of this meeting first and not just automatically assume that we have to go online. Mm -hmm. And then Great point. The, the other thing is that you can't just take, um, you know, a three or four day event and then put it online. You really need to uh, redesign how people are going to consume the content. Um, it might be longer um, and you want to keep the presentation shorter so that it's not, um, you know, our attention spans aren't as long. And so you need shorter, shorter little bits of information that people can absorb when they're consuming content online. And it, it may be a week long, and then the content is kept up there on demand for people to consume at their leisure um, later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if I could really address just point. a couple of the things there that, that January said, because um, I think she hit on some really important uh, points. Uh, one is that not not every event is going to translate, right? And so you have to you have to really think about, you know, the, the the types of events that are really struggling are fundraising events, uh, galas, award banquets, um, because those are all about the in person feel right it's it's getting dressed up it's eating good food it's drinking wine it's you know that's the experience and you it, if you think you're going to replicate that online you're just not so you need to find new ways to recognize people new ways to fundraise new ways to grab people's attention um, you, you if you try and translate that in-person experience into an online experience you will most likely fail so it's really important that people think through uh, you know the design process you're gonna have to kind of start from scratch to a certain extent because I've already seen some spectacular fails 
that checked off all the boxes. You know, they did all the things that, you know, were associated with their in-person event, but it just didn't work. And so it's really important that folks keep that in mind um, uh, as they, as they try and replan things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, it's absolutely, both of you bring up such a great point. I mean, you really have to step back and you have to look at the event completely differently. You know, obviously, keeping that foundation of your goals and objectives, but, you know, when someone's sitting in front of a computer screen, it's very different than sitting in the ballroom at, a, you know, an awards dinner. So, uh, you know, different feelings for sure. Um, you know, talk, let's talk a little bit about staffing for a virtual event. I think... Um, we think we, I think we're really good at that for in-person events. We know how many people we need to handle registration, and we have the hotel, and you know how to banquet servers, and blah, blah, blah. You know, um, how, you know, Jader, let's start with you on this, and then, uh, Brand, I'll have you come in on this. How are virtual events kind of different when it comes to thinking about the staff that you need to support for success? Well, I learned this from Brant, and he said that the most important thing to know is the more the interactivity, the more staff that you need. And so just because we're going from in-person to online doesn't mean that we need less staff. You may actually need more staff. Um, People, you have different teams. You have a planning team, procurement team, event platform team. And then once you uh, establish everything, you know, there's other digital content, social media, AV. There's tons of different things. You have one, a team before, and then you have, planning needs during um, during the event and then leading up to different things. So there's a lot that I know Brant could talk to um, in, in exhaust, but um, I think in his class there's, you know, several classes just about different staffing needs. So we could talk about this for a long time, but um, it's important to know that it is um, – there's a lot that goes into the staffing, and it's not just going to be one person behind a computer doing all this. You really need to think about um, all of the staffing needs, and, and um, you might share some of those. Like one person may be on all of those teams, but you have um, um, lots to do and lots to do before, during, and after. And I'll let Brant, the expert on this, kind of talk a little bit more about it. I think, you know, some of the, some of the, I feel like we're kind of hitting on a lot of the biggest mistakes that, that, that folks make as they're, as they're trying to do things in a rush. So, uh, you know, I know we're, I know we're trying to get some best practices out as well, but you know, sometimes the best practices is to avoid mistakes. So hopefully folks are taking that in in stride. Um, So, so, you know, to that end, you know, that's, that's one of the bigger mistakes that people are making in, you know, in addition to what's the platform and how much does it cost is this idea of, um, you know, well, I, I'm not going to need nearly as many people, right? Because it's just online. But, you know, if you think about what are the, what were the jobs, what were the responsibilities of everyone on your, you know, on your in-person events and, and really go through all of the people that are involved. You think about just even a small to medium in-person event, you know, you've got registration staff, you've got, you know, just folks helping, you know, human signs, helping people get to where they need to get to. And then all of the audiovisual and production staff that goes in on just a, even a small to medium, again, like general session, you know, camera people and people running playback and people running the presentations and making sure that those are running perfectly and someone calling the show and, you know, technical director and a producer. And then you go into the break 
breakouts, right? And so now you've got floating breakout techs and you've got the people that helped and helped set up that equipment. I mean, can you imagine um, in an in-person event, you know, being a breakout speaker and going to your room and here's just this little pile of equipment in the corner that says, here you go, set it up yourself. You know, but that's, that's what we're asking people to do right now. You know, we're asking people to present virtually, to be a breakout speaker with zero help. You know, nobody's there walking them through, um, you know, walking them through their lighting setup, walking them through their, their audio setup. Um, so, yeah, we, we spend a, a good chunk of the class talking about staffing and talking about all of the people, all of the roles that need to be filled. Whether you've got a staff of five or a staff of 50, you still need to make sure all of these roles are being filled. So making sure that, you know, who's responsible for marketing, who's responsible for social media, who's responsible for support. And the day of the event, everyone's responsible for support because it's not going to come in. I can guarantee if you set up a, a support email, you know, 90% of the support requests aren't going to come in on that. You know, people are going to reach out on whatever platform is most convenient for them. And that might be social media. It might be a LinkedIn. It might be email. It might be, you know, texting if they've got your, your phone, you know, so you have to be aware of, you know, that you, you're not going to be able to, in addition to not being able to just throw your budget away and go, okay, I, I just need the online platform. You're not going to be able to throw away your staffing plans either. So uh, I, I'm always uh, telling folks, you know, before you start over on your budget, start with the number you were going to spend on your in-person event and then work your way back into, uh, you know, the staffing and the tech and all that kind of stuff uh, on the other end. So definitely, definitely, definitely. The more, and then the more interactivity, right? So uh, like January said, the more interactivity you have. So chat, Q&A, you know, you need moderators for those kinds of things. You need people to, again, make sure that the speakers are getting set up and, and properly checked and that their AV is properly checked. Um, all of those things uh, are, are going to be required uh, for, your, for your online events. Absolutely. And, you know, when you think about the AV side of it, right, it's, but there's still that human connection. So you need so many, it's not just about making sure the AV is working, which is really important with virtual, but it's important in any type of event. But it's about making sure the right people are doing the right things at the right time. Because, uh, like you said, you're setting people up to do things. And it's, you know, you don't just throw like a, all right, set up your LCD projector and go ahead and present, you know, so it's, it's, it's a really good point. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of the technical side very quickly, just some best practices, you know, lighting, video, audio quality, and also you know, not only for the presenter, but also kind of uh, for us as watching uh, for, on a Zoom platform or something. Can, Brad, can you share some tips uh, for, you know, on both sides of that, uh, please, as far as like lighting, sound quality, and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so so what I'm kind of recommending for folks is, is just like we were talking about with staffing, is just as you would have AV techs, uh, you know, checking in on breakouts and things like that, speaker management becomes even more of an important issue online because so, you know, I'm recommending to folks to to connect with your speakers early. And then, you know, again, obviously right before the event, you're checking things like what's in their background, what's their camera quality like, what's their lighting quality like, what's their audio quality like, and really spending some time with them, not just going, eh, okay, that's good enough. You know, what else have you got? You know, okay, so, so what's the microphone sound like? that's built into their laptop? What's, you know, do you have anything else like a USB headset lying around? Do you have any headphones lying around? And, you know, one of the things that I, I stepped through for the class is like, okay, here's the like five different microphones that I have just lying around my office. And I don't mean professional microphones. I've got, you know, those two, but, you know, here's a cheap set of headphones. 
here's an expensive set of headphones, you know, and same with cameras, you know, so here's what the camera looks like on my MacBook Pro compared to my Surface tablet. And here's what the Surface tablet looks way better than the MacBook Pro. So, you know, you have to really step through these things and then think about what the lighting is, you know, don't have a window behind you, you know, just dig around. Have you got a desk lamp, you know, anything that you can do to help fill in faces, you know, make yourself a little bit brighter, face the window instead of having the window behind you. Um, and, and so having staffing to actually take the time to work with your speakers on all of this is, is huge, right? And it's just, it, it increases the production value. It increases the quality level. Uh, for everyone involved, including, you know, the attendees, right? And then um, the one that I always get asked is, okay, what's the most important thing is I always go back to audio quality. So audio quality for mm. me is always the most important thing, um, whether, you know, when it comes to online events, because uh, realistically, and I think if we've all done this, right, is you go and you, you check out a webinar and yeah, you kind of start to you know, maybe check the email, you know, maybe you step away from your computer and leave the speakers running. But what's, what's always running there is the audio. And so, you know, regardless of whether people are paying rapt attention or if they're kind of doing other things while they're on it, the audio is the part that they always are running. And it's been shown time and time again, even in our in-person events, that, you know, if you're struggling hearing, if you're struggling to understand people's words uh, because of poor quality audio, that's exhausting. It's physically exhausting for your audience yeah. members. So, you know, that, so for me, that's always kind of the first thing. So first thing, audio, second thing um, is, is, is then video and lighting uh, after that. Um, and really working with your speakers and presenters to do, to, to, to make that quality. Like I said, just look around. What have you got in your office? <laughs> and, right. and, and try all those things out rather than just saying, eh, good enough. No, I think that's a really good point. It's a great segue to talking a little bit, and you touched on it. I, we haven't used the word rehearsal, but so critical to rehearse so that you're testing all these things, right? I mean, and, and one thing we've talked about kind of on uh, FICP chat is you really need two rehearsals, right, at least. Uh, one that really focuses on the technical side, one that focuses on the presentation side. Can, can you speak a little bit to that? Sure. I mean, it's, 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 it's like the old joke of uh, how do you get to Carnegie Hall, you know, practice, practice, practice. And, you know, I've been preaching that I've been preaching that for 10 years, you know, because I, I started my my education career um, uh, doing presentations about presentations. And what are the things that we can do to improve our, you know, PowerPoints that have nothing to do with content or font size and things like that. And one of the biggest tips that I always give is rehearsal. And, you know, it, it already drives me a little bit nuts in, in our in-person events, how little thought is given to actual rehearsal. You know, execs will come up and just kind of walk the stage and go, yep, looks good. And then they'll come up and they'll be all, you know, they, they won't do a good job at it because they stayed up till three o'clock in the morning working on their PowerPoints. And then they come down and give you mm -hmm. a new one at seven o'clock in the morning. And, you know, we, these are the things we know. But then what's further frustrating beyond that is that for some reason, again, people have this mindset that online is somehow different. And, you know, well, okay, they sent me the video file and it looks good on my computer, so I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, instead of doing, honestly, what we should be doing, which is a full general session rehearsal, you know, just like you would with an in-person event. And so the day before, you know, connecting everything up, getting everybody on, you know, at the very least doing that kind of 
pseudo stage walkthrough, right? Where you get all your presenters to connect and take a look at their setups one more time and make sure audio and video look good. And, but then work on the transitions, work on the handoffs, right. you know, if it's a live event, you know, uh, how do we go from this person to that person? And so hundred percent, you know, if you want to just in, improve the overall quality of your event, I can't, you know, recommend enough the power of rehearsal. And the power of knowing your content as opposed to working on it until three o'clock in the morning the night before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, all great points. So um, yeah. finally, the last kind of thing I wanted to talk about is like, let's talk about engagement and like the use of personas. So January, I'm just going to, looking at your head to your fall event, what, can you give us a couple of examples of what you have planned to kind of engage the audience and then you know Brent maybe you could touch a little bit about personas so generally let's start with you yeah um on our virtual event we're looking at doing um you know obviously chats and q a within live sessions but then also uh, a hybrid of that so maybe the actual portion of the content might be pre-recorded but then the Q&A and the chat is live, and we have someone monitoring that. And then, uh, and then also we'll have chat rooms where it's um, specific times we're talking about these different things, and we'll have pop-ups that are popping up to say, hey, you know what, um, we're doing talking about this in the chat room from this time to this time, don't forget. And they can click on that and go right to the chat room um, and, and start engaging with, uh, with each other on that particular topic. And then uh, we're also doing some gamification uh, where it's really encouraging people to get engaged more and get more out of the event by uh, being involved more. And so the more they chat or they um, answer a question or a Q&A or do a survey or they go to the expo room and the more booths they visit and the more they engage with those um, those uh, sponsors that the more that uh, they get more points so there's a point board and then they get prizes based on uh, based on who got the most points and they can kind of um, be competitive and in that way I know my attendees are super competitive and and they really get a kick out of uh, the gamification part of it so those are just some things that that we're doing uh, to engage our attendees that's, those are all fantastic. And so, Brad, can you speak a little bit about, you know, kind of personas and how you use them to create these better virtual events? Sure. Personas are something that came out of the marketing world. Um, and so they can be used as part of your marketing strategy for your event. And the idea is that you're, you're, you're developing these kind of fictitious uh, stereotype people. Um, of of your attendees, and it's 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 designed to kind of give you uh, a window into what your attendees want, um, and and to honestly foster empathy, um, to to make you you know be in tune with their needs, their wants, their desires, what they want to get out of the event, and so. Um, that's kind of, uh, you know, in the marketing side, you're, you're, you're trying to envision and giving them names. I mean, it's, it's, it's that, that literal, right? So you're, you're creating an archetype is probably a better word than stereotype. Um, uh, of, of, you know, uh, HR Hannah or, you know, education Anna, you know, or something along those lines, right? So, so it, these, these are the people that you're keeping in mind that, and you want them to be as much as possible based on real data. So it's going back to getting to know your audience, right? So you're not just 
well, this is what I think our people are like. This is what I think our audience is like. You want it as much as possible based on real, actual data um, to say these are the types of people that come to our event. And don't try and overdo it. You know, just come up with kind of your top two or three uh, to begin with. And then, you know, what, what I think then is, is interesting is then to carrying through this idea out of marketing land into the design process. And so what you're trying to do is um, design your event with these people in mind, you know, these fictitious people and saying, so what is Anna's experience going to be like? How is she going to go through our event from start to finish, from registration all the way through to, you know, all of the emails that go, go, you know, get in, she gets, you know, leading up to the event, all the way through the event. Is she going to be playing these games? Does she want to be playing these games? Um, and then tracking it all the way through to the post-event survey. And doing that for each one of your personas is going to make you really think through the audience experience from start to finish for the people that are going to be most likely attending your event. And then after the event, as you're looking at post, you know, uh, you know, post event data, survey data, you know, who went to what sessions, you can start to really dig into the, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about online events is the sheer volume of data that gets created. We could spend an entire podcast talking about just that, but you know, just to keep it on the high level, um, then going back and looking at that data and say, okay, are there other people here that we're missing? You know, what are the, turns out, you know, 70% of the people that are attend our events actually had job title Y and, you know, they're attending these five sessions. And so that's the things that they're interested in and then developing new personas to match that data so that then you're adjusting and editing your design process, you know, from event to event based on real people and real data in these, in these kind of archetypical, archetypal, <laughs> whatever the version of that word is, um, uh, versions <laughs> of, these, of these personas. Very, I mean, that is just such a, a great thought, and it's all about data. I mean, even with our in-person events, you know, and, and especially, you know, I would think with a virtual platform, you know, that data is on even more critical, right? Um, Oh, it's a fire uh, hose. And so you, it's, it's, yeah. it's really important to be clear. You know, I, I, I joke on our weekly calls in the class that it's, it's, a, it's a drinking game every time Brant says goals and objectives. So, you know, because it's, that's what it keeps coming back to, right, is so you're designing with data in mind based on your goals and objectives. So if you, you need to be, know what your goals are and how to measure them and then design your event in ways that's going to produce data so that you can find out whether or not you succeeded other than, well, yeah, everybody had a good time and the CEO liked yeah. it. So I guess we win. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been great. I think we've shared some incredible best practices with our audience. Um, and I hope I, you know, January and Brand, thank you so much for your great insight and wisdom. Uh, and thanks to the audience for listening. We hope that you'll stick around and listen to the second part of this podcast where we're going to talk a little bit more about the actual RFP process and the budget things that we need to keep in mind uh, when we're budgeting for virtual events. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into those topics. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and please join us for part two.